Good morning. Good morning, East Cities. Great to be with you this morning. Thanks for having me and having Joanne out with us. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And I uh, hope everyone is doing well this fine Labor Day weekend. Amen. Amen. Um, I would love to share with you this morning some things that God put on my heart to share with you this morning. And I just want to start off by just commending you, commending the region, uh, just for how God is working and moving. I know a, uh, a few weeks ago we put out the uh, the calling for us to really uh, sacrifice, to really give in a greater way, uh, and to really cut back even in a greater way, just to be able to help allow God to do greater things in our ministry as we look forward to hiring a regional evangelist and women's ministry leader. And it's amazing how disciples respond. And I know I said one to one of the other leaders here in the LA church, I said, don't underestimate the heart of Metro LA. And, uh, I, and that's what I really believe. And, and, and it's amazing just over the last several weeks. And we need to be consistent. And we need to continue to do the good work. But to see our contribution rise back to even the pre-fall uh, in, our, in our giving. And so it's gone up, I believe, close to 30% uh, just over the last several weeks. Now, we need to continue to do good, good work. But give yourselves a great hand uh, for how God is doing. And, and just even the way Metro East and the downtown town ministries have responded to the call to, you know, reduce some of our expenses and to do other things. I know there have been some park services that you've had, and I really want to let you know I appreciate uh, you really sacrificing for the Lord. Amen? and giving. And, and I know the Lord will bless us all as a result of our sacrifice and our giving. And so I just want to thank you for that uh, in a great way. Um, I also want to let you know, you know, it's so encouraging to be with disciples out here. A few, I don't know if she's here today, Veronica Vidal, but uh, it was it was shared a few, I think about a month or two ago, but I was just so encouraged to be a part of that memorial service for Kate Lang. I know she was a dear sister who was a part of this ministry years ago for many years and she passed. But just the way that she and others from this ministry helped pull together that memorial. Uh, it was really, really encouraging to me to remember such a great sister. So thank you for the way that you really imitate Jesus and the way that you love and you give and that you serve. But I wanted to share this morning about mind change and having the attitude of Jesus. Amen? Amen. I believe having the right attitude is really what determines our altitude in life. You know, Chuck Swindoll, uh, a preacher, said life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. And I want you to just to think about how that relates to you in your life and how it relates to the world around us today. You know, unfortunately and tragically, yesterday we had our 25th mass shooting in 2019 in Texas, Woodland, Texas. Horrible, unbelievable to think about how we as a society in the United States and what we've come to in how we react to situations oftentimes with violence. And already we have uh, equated the, the total number of mass shootings for 2018 already in 2019, and it's only September. And it really points to me, though, about how am I reacting to my life? How am I reacting to the circumstances that befall me? How are you reacting to the circumstances that befall you? Robert Frost, a poet, said there are three things that he believes sums up life. It, 
goes on. That sums up life. No matter what happens to you, no matter what you do or don't do, life will go on. But the reality is to have the kind of life and the quality of life that we desire, how are we reacting to the ups and downs of life, to the twists and turns of life? I believe that God wants us to be equipped to live a life that is filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And not to our glory, but to God's glory. I'll repeat that again. God wants us all to be equipped to live a life that is filled with the fruit that comes through Jesus Christ, the fruit of righteousness, to God's glory, his glory, and not ours. It often takes, though, in our lives, breaking past bad habits, patterns, history, to be able to react in the best and the healthiest way. You know, I came to uh, a head, you know, recently. I was thinking about a visit I had with a young man, and I, it, it sort of took me back to the fact that I had a patient uh, about 10 years ago uh, in, my, in my medical practice uh, who became very, very dear to me, you know, over a period of time. And I, I was able to take care of him for, you know, for several years. But he had come to me, he wasn't the healthiest of individuals. And as it turns out, uh, he came down with that silent killer diabetes. And, you know, for some people it affects certain diabetes when they're diabetic, affects them certain ways, and other people affects them other ways. And he was probably one of the individuals in, in, in all the years of my medical practice in which it afflicted him in the worst possible ways. He probably had every single complication of diabetes, and it eventually took his life. He had renal failure. He, had, he, he was blind. He, he, it affected his feet. It affected his circulation. I mean, every, and every, there was nothing we could do just to... Uh, to forestall that from happening. And, and, and eventually took his life in his late 50s at a pretty young age. But recently, and I've taken care of several of his family members, his son came to me as a, as a patient, a young man who carries his name. And I and asked him the other day, I said, do you mind if I share? I'm going to be speaking this weekend. Do you mind if I share this? He said, no, not at all, doc. And so as I sat there with him recently, though, it sort of took me and I had a flashback to his father, because his father was way overweight. As a young man, he comes in, he's overweight. So I was going over his laboratory tests, and I was saying, well, your dad was diabetic. Now you are pre-diabetic. And we were just going through all the various things. And I said, listen, you're going to have to really learn how to re-educate yourself. You're going to have to really learn how to break some habits. You're going to really have to sort of work really hard to sort of overcome your history and the past. And, I, and it really took me back even to our own lives, spiritually, how oftentimes we have to really work really hard to overcome some of our past. And some of the individuals who sort of went before us and maybe passed on some bad habits to us and issues, and we've got to really overcome. But in order to do that, we've got to have a mind change. 
in our lives in order to have the attitude of Jesus. And we've got to really listen. You know, some of the people who accomplished some of the greatest things in life oftentimes allowed life circumstances to teach them lessons that they could then pass on to others. And they passed it on so that people could listen and be motivated and change and have the right attitude and the healthiest attitude towards life. Listen to this. Henry David Thoreau, a poet and a philosopher, said, what you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. Mahatma Gandhi, lawyer, nonviolent activist, the inspiration for Dr. Martin Luther King, said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. Aristotle, historic philosopher said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Mark Twain, famous writer said, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. Ralph Waldo Emerson, famous writer and philosopher said, do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. And you think about it in life, you know, whatever we may be challenged with, whether discouragement or insecurity or laziness or individuals who had to overcome some of those hurdles and then were able to accomplish great things can pass on knowledge and insight to us. And I believe that's what the Holy Scriptures do for us as well. It gives us hope. It gives us inspiration. It is from God. And so as we move forward in our sermon today about having a mind change and having the attitude of Jesus, my first point is just simply we need to love to learn from him. We need to love to learn from him. And I wanted to speak from the book of Philippians this morning. The book of Philippians, I believe, was a love letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi while he was in a Roman jail. He was in jail when he wrote this letter. And it's really a love letter. It's, it's, a, it's a love letter between him and a group of Christians that he fell in love with and, and who in turn loved him. They had become very deeply connected. And so this was a letter of affection. And he commended them over and over again for how they loved him and gave to him again and again and again. Even when he was ministering in other places, they would send aid to him when he was in Thessalonica. And they sacrificed. And it helped me to think about and relate to Metro LA, even as I thought about this letter, about how we're commended for our faithfulness. As we talk about this region to other members of the church, people say, you know, there's something about the disciples in Metro LA and everyone agrees this region is resilient. The people in this region are tough. And I say, yeah, that's my region. That, that, th those are my people. Those are my brothers and sisters. Yeah, we are a resilient bunch. We're a faithful bunch. And I just really want to let you know how much I appreciate every single one of you and commend you and hold you up uh, in, in the Lord. But, you know, we still need to all be able to grow. And as you look at the church in Philippi and the letter that that Paul wrote to him, he wanted them to be able to preserve the specialness of what they had and who they were. And so he wrote to them and he admonished them and he called them higher and he, and he encouraged them. And in verse 9, 
We read this verse of chapter one of the book of Philippians, and this is my prayer. He says, this is my prayer for you, Philippians, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, this is a tremendous passage. I sort of read, read through this. I was trying to understand what is God trying to say? Well, number one, he wants us to feed, continue to feed ourselves through the word of God. As we build ourselves up to be able to discern, to have discernment so that we can react in a healthy way to the ups and downs, the twists and turns of life. Because what? Life is what? 10%, right? 10% of what happens to you and 90% of what reacts to you. And I don't know if those percentages are exactly right, but you get the point. How we react to how our wife treats us or our husband treats us. How we react to what our boss says to us or how our coworkers are treating us. How we react to how our neighbors are relating to us. How we react to individuals in our family and what they do or don't do or say or don't say. Or how they treated me last holiday or vacation or didn't treat me. You get what I am saying. And so the, 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 the reality is we need to have some direction. We need to have a blueprint. We need to have a roadmap uh, in our lives. And Paul is trying to say that here is the roadmap, and we need to continue to feed ourselves so that we can be learning and growing in our knowledge and so we can be discerning as to what is best and maybe pure and blameless. I believe that God wants us to live in the zone spiritually, to live in the zone spiritually. And so I have a little video here that I'd like us to, to look at to help us to understand. And you won't believe who's going to be teaching us about living in the zone spiritually this morning. But only for Metro LA would we have this analogy. Okay, here we go. Getting that zone is just a supreme confidence that you know it's going in. It's not a matter of if or this that it's going in things just slow down you know everything slows down you're, you're you just have supreme confidence but when that happens you know you really do not try to focus on what's going on because out you know you can lose it in a second everything becomes one noise you know it's not you don't hear this or that everything's just one noise and, you're not paying attention to one or the other. You just, you just stay right there. You have to really try to stay in the present, not, you know, not let anything break that rhythm. Again, it's on. You just kind of stay there. You know, you become oblivious to everything that's going on. You know, you don't, you don't think about your surroundings or you know, what's going on with the crowd or the team. Think about your surroundings or. You know, what's going on with the crowd or the team? You know, you're kind of you're kind of locked in, and uh, so uh, I don't know. You have to really try to 
stay in the present and not, you know, not let anything break that rhythm. We can't allow anything to break that rhythm. We got to stay in the moment. We got to stay in the present and think about how that relates to us spiritually. Because Satan wants to distract us. He wants to pull us away. He wants to pull us in this direction, in that direction. He wants to flat discourage us. He wants us to flat quit and give up. But if we're going to stay in the zone spiritually, we got to stay in the present. We got to stay in rhythm. We got we to gotta just isolate all these other things away from us. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage. He's saying, I want you to be able to have the discernment. The discernment that allows you to be able to know what is best so that you may be pure and blameless. Imagine being able to live every single day of your life spiritually, that you are in the zone, okay? You are cranking. I mean, you're just focused. You're focused on being like Jesus, just having that attitude towards other people that Jesus would have, having the attitude that Jesus would have towards our brothers and sisters, towards our spouse, towards our friends, towards our coworkers, and nothing can get you off, okay? Because you're just so much in the zone. You know, as Paul goes on to speak here in Philippians, he talks about the life lessons that he had learned because we need to love to learn from him. And I believe that's what Paul did in his, in his life. So as he goes on in verse 12 of chapter one, he says, now I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. See, he's in the zone right here. He's a, the man is in jail, brothers and sisters. I mean, I, most of us are thinking, well, woe is me. Look what this Christianity has gotten me into. I mean, should I have really gone? If I had just stayed in the Jewish faith, okay, and stayed a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of Pharisees and just continued along that path, things would have been really comfortable. I had a really great position waiting for me. But nah, what did I have to do? I had to convert to Judaism. I mean, I had to convert to Christianity, follow Jesus, and now I'm in this Roman jail writing this letter to these tired Christians in Philippi. Yeah, get on my nerves sometime. Yeah, that's right. But you know what? He was so locked in, he was able to do what? Have a spiritual perspective on what had happened to him, even though he was sitting behind bars with his hands like this. Okay, and so he was able to say, no, 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 no. You got to understand what happened to me actually helped to advance the gospel because now the brothers, they're just preaching more courageously and fearlessly, even as I sit here in jail. So, you know what? I rejoice in that. And that's okay. It's all good. 
because that was, but you see, he was locked in. He was in the zone at that point. And then he goes on to speak. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Now he says, of those brothers who are now preaching more courageously and fearlessly, some of them are doing what? They're backstabbers. Okay, so they're preaching more, but now I got to deal with another issue. They're backstabbers. I went to the OJ's concert on Friday. I mean, we heard backstabbers. It was awesome, okay? But they're backstabbers. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every, every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Okay, so he's inspired that he was able to inspire these brothers to preach more courageously and fearlessly. But of those who are preaching more courageously and fearlessly, some are backstabbers, and, and they, ha they don't have the right motive. But even in that part, but you know what? I'm fired up. Even though they're backstabbing me and I'm in jail, you know what? Christ is being preached. Because as they backstab me, they're preaching about Jesus. So people are hearing about Jesus and they're getting saved. So for that, I'm fired up. He is in the zone. I mean, you've got to be in the zone to have that kind of attitude, even despite that happening in your life. That's how we need to be living. Because if we're living like this, we're always going to be doing well spiritually. Okay. They ain't me saying, how's Doug doing? He's struggling right now. Oh, boy. I mean, you know, how's so-and-so? She's struggling right now. You're not going to struggle. Because no matter what is happening to you, really see God working and moving in a powerful way in your life. You know, recently you know, through everything that's been going on, I saw a need, you know what, maybe there's some things even in my own heart I need to really deal with, with respect to loss, as I saw people just leave, you know, our ministry and, you know, the role that, you know, that I have, the responsibility they have. And so, you know, I decided, I said, you know what, I need to go through grief recovery. I said, you know, maybe some things that, as I think about the losses that I've gone through, I need to go through that. And so recently, along with my wife and the Kiainas, we, 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 we went through that, uh, the program, I know that several of you here have as well. And it was really, really awesome because as I saw, as I went through it, I was thinking that the loss was the loss of the brothers and sisters, but I realized that even as I reflected back on the loss of my mother and father, who my dad died about eight years ago, my mom about two years ago, some of you remember, um, I had a very healthy relationship with them, but even as I went through the program, I was realizing there are some healthier ways that I can really look back now on my relationship with them to really be even healthier as I reflect back. And, and it was really, really good. And what I learned was that, you know, my ability to forgive and my decision to forgive is my decision and not a feeling. My decision to apologize is not a feeling, but it is my decision. 
You know, and as we re look at, reflect on our relationships, oftentimes we're influenced by our, our feelings. Well, you know what? I, I'm going to do this when I feel like I get to the point where the feelings are there. And what the grief recovery program was saying, you know, you know, my ability and my need to apologize, my need to forgive are decisions that I need to make and I shouldn't wait on my feelings. But it's like what Jesus said when he said, do not lay up your treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, but where thieves break in and steal. But instead, lay up your treasures in heaven for where your treasure is there, your heart will be. And I believe that's how it is in our lives spiritually. When we make spiritually minded decisions, whether it is to forgive or to apologize, even though our feelings might not be there, it's like a little puppy dog. Our feelings always follow along those decisions. The fact that we lay our treasure in the right direction, we make spiritual decisions, then our hearts will be there also and the emotions will be there also. And so I, it really took me taking the opportunity to take a pause and say, I need to learn. I need to learn from Jesus. I need to really take a look and stock of my own life and just do a reevaluation. What about you in your life? Amen. What are some things that in our lives we need to have a mind change about? We need to have the attitude of Jesus in. And I believe that as we really look strongly and look thoroughly and fervently in our lives, we'll find something. Amen? <laughs> you know, as, as it goes on in the book of Philippians, Paul goes on to write in chapter 2. And I really want to make my second point this morning, which is not only that we need to learn to love from him, but we also need to... Learn to please him in being one, okay? Learn to please him in being one. So let's look in Philippians chapter 2 here, okay? And let me just rearrange myself here. Give me just a sec. I'm going to take this out and put this aside. Amen. All right. Here we go. Okay, so amen. Uh, actually, in chapter 1, before we even get to chapter 2, let me just share this point too. Verse 21 to 24. Uh, verse 21 says, and for to, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I'm going to living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to be, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. You know, before I move on, I just want to just share one other thing is that, you know, it's important for us to understand that having a mind change and having the attitude of Jesus should only also include having the right perspective as it comes to even the prospect of death in our lives. Even the prospect of death should not cause us to lose heart, but should encourage us as it was with our brother Paul. You know, as he even looked, he said, you know, I desire to be with Christ which is better by far. But he, he says, I, I, you know, I'll settle with staying alive. I'll settle for that in being here. And that's okay. And that's a good thing. And, and if I do, it'll mean fruitful labor for me. What that means is while we're here, there's one real purpose as disciples while we're here, guys, fruitful labor. Why am I still alive? It's because God, desired, God sees a need for me to have fruitful labor. If I stop having fruitful labor, I'm thinking, gee, what does that mean? I don't really need to be around much longer, okay? <laughs> Think about that for your life. What we're here for is fruitful. A brother who really understands that in a great way is Pablo Padilla. 
I love that brother. He's on staff here in Metro LA. And you know, thank God that for him, I, and, I, and I rejoice with him, last Sunday, his sister was restored back to Jesus and his niece was baptized into Jesus all on the same day. But this is a brother who just pours himself out day after day, week after week. And I'll tell you, it convicts me, inspires me. He leads the downtown sector, works a full-time job, preaches out here in Las Americas once a month, and, you know, parks the cars, you know, washes them for, I mean, he just, he's just, I mean, he just, he, he is just busy. I mean, it seems like every waking minute he is, he's busy either doing that or taking his date out on, a, uh, his wife out on a date. I mean, one or the other, he is just a faithful brother. And I just really want to commend him and hold him up uh, in the Lord as someone who understands that, you know, our life is really about fruitful labor, okay? And, and I want to encourage us all, you know, we've been through a lot as a region, you know, myself included, but I think it's time for us now all to really see that our lives need to be about fruitful labor, bringing disciples to Jesus, amen? Having people in our home, building relationships, you know, studying the Bible with people, sitting down, building great relationships and friendships. Let's get ba back to the purpose which God has called us to. Amen? Amen. So now to chapter 2, uh, verse number 1. And uh, it really gets to my next point, uh, which is that it's not really all about you and I. <laughs> it's really all about us. It's really all about us. So let's hear, look here in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion that make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. One of the most challenging passages in the scriptures. I believe one of the most challenging passages. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider others better than yourself. What is life? You see, by nature, life is all about ourselves, isn't it? It really is. I mean, how do, how do I feel right now? Do I feel hot? Do I feel cold? Do I feel warm? Do, 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 do I feel great? Do I feel lonely? Do I feel afraid? Do I feel this? Do I feel that? I mean, it, everything is about us. And Having the right kind of mind change is really understanding that it really isn't all about us. I mean, it's not really about you and me. It's really about us and about the Lord. Amen? Amen. You know, as, as we think about Jesus and we think about what he did and how he sacrificed, let's look on and read on. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with, some, with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every 
every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue uh, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Amen. Amen. You know, as we think about Jesus, we think about the fact that we understand what Jesus did is he humbled himself and he became a bond servant, a bond servant. A bond servant was essentially a slave. And so we consider what Jesus did, though he was royalty, though he was a king, he became a slave. Out of what? Out of obedience. Can you imagine Jesus having an attitude like, well, I'm not sure I really want to go to Jerusalem because it wouldn't meet my needs. <laughs> or I'm not sure I want to go up to, Na you know, nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? But I don't know if I want to go back to Nazareth because I'm not sure it's what I really feel right now. Oh, what, what am I going to get out of it? You see what I'm saying? Do you understand where I'm going? What Jesus was really all about was obeying his father. Being where his father wanted him. Doing what his father wanted him to do. And he's saying, look, in order to understand what is best and right and pure and to be filled with the righteousness that comes from, from God, we got to have the same mindset and the same attitude towards what God is calling us to and towards his church. I mean, the whole thing is he wants us to be able to, here in the church in Philippi, he wants to be able to preserve what was so special to him. He says, listen, listen carefully. Don't lose what you have. In order not to lose what you have, you're going to have to, you got to have to maintain and adopt the attitude that I have had all along. That it's not all about you and I. It's about us. It's about the Lord. And so you can't do anything out of vain conceit. You've got to be looking not only to your own interests, but also what? To the interests. It's not wrong to look to your own interests, but you've got to be looking to the interests of others. You've got to figure, what is Edgar value? What is this sister value? What is that brother value? Because as we start thinking that way and we start taking our eyes off of ourselves and on other people, then we start adopting more the attitude in the mind of Jesus. Amen. You know, and we ask ourselves, well, why does God allow all this to happen? I'm sure Paul did uh, as he was in that Roman jail. He was thinking, why did my father allow these things to happen? It must have been, I must have been cursed in order for this to happen. I want to, I want to share this with you. I shared this with the Bible talk leaders a little while back. Once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village. Although poor, he was envied by all, for he owned a beautiful white horse. Even the king coveted his treasure. A horse like this had never been seen before. Such was its splendor, its majesty, its strength. People offered fabulous prices for the steed, but the old man always refused. This horse is not a horse to me, he would tell them. It is a person. How could you sell a person? He is a friend, not a possession. How could you sell a friend? The man was poor and the temptation was great, but he never sold a horse. One morning, he found that the horse was not in the stable. All the village came to see him. You old fool, 
They scoffed. We told you that someone would steal your horse. We warned you that you would be robbed. You are so poor. How could you ever hope to protect such a valuable animal? It would have been better to have sold them. You could have gotten whatever price you wanted. No amount would have been too high. Now the horse is gone, and you've been cursed with misfortune. The old man responded, don't speak too quickly. Say only the horse is not in the stable. This is all we know. The rest is judgment. If I've been cursed or not, how can you know? How can you judge? The people contested, don't make us out to be fools. We know, we, we may not be philosophers, but great philosophy is not needed. The simple fact that your horse is gone is a curse. <laughs> the old man spoke again. All I know is the stable is empty and the horse is gone. The rest, I don't know. Whether it is a curse, will be a curse or a blessing, I can't say. All we can say, all we can see is a fragment. Who can say what will come next? The people of the village, they laughed at him. They thought the man was crazy. They had always thought that he was a fool. If he wasn't, he would have sold a horse and lived off the money, but instead he was a poor woodcutter, an old man still cutting firewood and dragging it out of the forest and selling it. He lived hand to mouth in the misery of poverty. Now he had proven that he was indeed a fool. After 15 days, the horse returned. He hadn't been stolen. He had run away into the forest. Not only had he returned, he had brought a dozen wild horses with him. Once again, the village people gathered around the woodcutter and spoke, Oh man, you were right, and we were wrong. What we thought was a curse, it was a blessing. Please forgive us. The man responded, Once again, you go too far. Say only that the horse is back. State only that a dozen horses returned with him, but don't judge. How do you know if this is a blessing or not? You see only a fragment. Unless you know the whole story, how can you judge? You need only one page, you read only one page of a book, can you judge the whole book? You read only one word of a phrase, can you understand the entire phrase? Life is so vast, yet you judge all of life with one page or one word. All you have is a fragment. Don't say that this is a blessing. No one knows. I am content with what I know. I am not perturbed by what I don't know. Maybe the old man is right, they said to one another. So they said little, but down deep, they knew he was wrong. They knew it was a blessing. Twelve wild horses had returned with one horse. With a little bit of work, the animals could be broken and trained and sold for much money. The old man had a son. An only son, the young man began to break the wild horses. After a few days, he fell from one of the horses and broke both of his legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old man and cast their judgments. You were right, they said. You proved you were right. The dozen horses were not a blessing. They were a curse. Okay, you, your only son has broken his legs. And now in your old age, you have no one to help you. Now you are poorer than ever. The old man spoke again. You people are obsessed with judging. Okay, don't go so far. Say only my son broke his legs. Who knows if it is a blessing or a curse? No one knows. We only have a fragment. Life comes in fragments. It so happened that a few weeks later, the country engaged in a war against a neighboring country. All the young men of the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded. 
because he was injured. Once again, the people gathered around the old man crying and screaming because their sons had been taken. There was little chance they would return. The enemy was strong. The war would be a, a, a losing struggle. They would never see their sons again. You were right, old man. They wept. God knows you're right. This proves it. Your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least he's, be, he's with you. Our sons are gone forever. The old man spoke again. It is impossible to talk with you. You always draw conclusions. No one knows. Say only this. Your sons had to go to war and mine did not. No one knows if it is a blessing or a curse. No one is wise enough to know. Only God knows. The old man was right. We only have a fragment. Life's mishaps and horrors are only a page out of a grand book. We must be slow about drawing conclusions and reserve judgment on life storms until we know the whole story. Amen. <laughs> I think in life, if we're going to have the attitude of Jesus, if we're going to have a mind change in our lives, we've got to take it one day at a time. We've got to take it one day at a time. And if we do, we can live in the zone spiritually. But we've got to be able to discern what is best and right and pure so that we can be filled with the righteousness that comes from God. So number one, we need to love to learn from him. We need to love to learn from him. But number two, we've got to also love uh, to be, uh, we've got to love in our lives uh, to understand that it pleases him when we are living as one. And so today I want to encourage us all as brothers and sisters to really follow the Lord in this way and to be encouraged by not only his word, but the fact that we do have the blueprint. Amen. And to God be the glory. Amen. Thank you.